0: If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to just read a couple verses here from 1 Peter. These are not strange scriptures, they're very familiar, and some of you will perhaps know them by heart as we read them this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 6 and 7, but I'm actually going to preach this uh, beginning, of verse number 1, I'm going I'm to teach, preach, preach, whatever you want to call it this morning from this, the first few verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's start with verse number 6 reading today. Read aloud with me if you would, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Are you reading with me? I must be going deaf. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, that sounds better, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach for a little bit today, teach a little bit today, whatever you may call this, on the trial of your faith trial of your faith. Father, help us this morning to speak what you have laid upon my heart. Impact and impart to this congregation today, Lord, what you have imparted to me this week. Speak to every heart, every mind, every person that's walking through a trial. I pray, Lord, that the light of the glory of God comes on. Every person that is facing a trial, I pray, Lord, that you give them understanding of the reason and the purpose. Every person, Lord, that that may misunderstand the trial, I pray today, the light of your glory helps them recognize what you're working in their life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to begin this morning by taking an expository look, if I may, at these first few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter here begins by introducing himself in the first verse, second verse, third verse of this passage. Peter begins by giving a brief description of his calling, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that he is an apostle of a specific group. And I. this is important because I want us to catch the wording that he uses here in how that he describes who he is an apostle to and the purpose of his apostleship and what it means to these people of that day. He says he is an apostle to the strangers that are scattered throughout. Everybody say the word strangers. He is an apostle to the strangers that are scattered throughout. Now, he uses the word strangers here. It's not the only place that the word strangers is used in the Scripture. The Scripture says that we are strangers, that we are pilgrims, that we are foreigners, if you please, passing through. Now, this is significant to the church today, and it's going to the lights of this word stranger may come on a little more clearly as we move through this text in the next few moments in laying the groundwork for what I want to speak to you today. But it is very clear that there is an opinion of the apostle as he is speaking to them because if they do not consider themselves strangers, he's saying, I'm not your apostle. Now this is important to us today because... So many people in today's society and in this world take up residence here and fail to understand that the Lord has called us out of this world and that we are to view this world not as a resident of this world but as a pilgrim that is passing through. That we are a stranger in this world. We are not a resident to this world because if we become a resident of this world, then we uh, take on uh, everything in life, become surrounded in this world. So the apostle here is laying some groundwork of of recognition that uh, regardless what happens to us in this strange land, that Don't take it too personal because this world is not our home. That we are strangers in this world and that we are passing through. That this is not a residence. This is only, uh, we're only renting here. We're not owning here. But our treasure and our residence is on the other side. And so as we approach life, we have to approach life with the understanding that the here and the now is temporary. As a stranger approaching a territory that is not his home. My wife and I and Sister Cheryl made a trip out. We made a flying trip out to uh, Seattle, Washington a few weeks ago. And we got there, and I'm going to tell you everything I'd heard about the Northwest was uh, the half has not yet been told. It's absolutely one of the most beautiful places on the planet, I do believe. One of the most beautiful places that I have visited, we were there in the city and uh, driving through Seattle, and it is a beautiful city. The downtown area, it is the evergreen country, the spruce trees, the, uh, the firs, the... Uh, all of the evergreens that uh, that that carry uh, the weight and, and, and so many trees. Cheryl kept saying, I can't believe that we are in a city with this many trees. Now, there's so much more to Seattle than trees. But it's a beautiful, beautiful place because the greens are so different and, and they vary. And as we crossed over and saw... The water and saw people that were fishing and boating and uh, taking uh, their leisure in water sports. You just all you have to do is just lift up your eyes and you see the mountain ranges. And the amazing thing is, while it's 70 degrees in the city and people are on the water, you look up to the mountains, snow caps of the mountains. And people are on the the peaks of the mountains, and they are snow skiing. So within just a few minutes of each other, you could choose to whether you wanted to water ski or snow ski. Mm, mm, mm. Beautiful, beautiful. It's very scenic, incredible. And we're driving through and I'm changing lanes and looking and people are honking their horns. Although the rental car said Washington. I was certain it would say Washington and they would think I was a residence. And I exaggerate not to you that when I looked at the license plate, The rental car was not from Washington, but it said Texas. But whether it said Washington or Texas would not have mattered because they could tell by the way I was traveling that I was not a resident. I'd get out and stumble through the parking lots looking, look, look. Sister Cheryl's coming through with her camera. She's FaceTiming. Look at this, look, look. It was obvious that we were strangers. People that are residents there, they, they see it every day. They live there. I was enamored by the fact that in downtown Seattle, it is the area of coffee shops. If you've never been there, you need to go once to see it and then leave and come back home to the cornfields and you'll wonder why you live here. Unbelievable. 82 Starbucks coffee shops alone in downtown Seattle. There's more coffee shops in Seattle, Washington than probably there is in the state of Indiana. On every corner, there is a coffee shop. They have drive through coffee shops. They have adult coffee shops. They have every kind of coffee shop imaginable, named by anything imaginable, literally like nothing I've ever experienced before. And so I go through this area, and we're looking, and we're We are amazed by it. But people that live there, it's normal life. It's just life. They are residents there. Here is the parallel I want to draw in our spirit today that as the apostle begins to speak to the strangers, he says, if you become too common with this world, you will begin to view the world differently and the trials that he is about to talk to in just a few verses and speak of in just a few verses are going to look differently to the stranger. Their time is off and everything's different. And we looked at one another and said, I wonder, I wonder if we can get any sweet corn. No sweet corn. We could just look at one another and say, but just a couple more days and we're going to be back in Indiana. And when we get back to Indiana, it's not hard to find sweet corn. Now I'm trying to draw a parallel in your mind this morning because we deal with trials and issues in this life, and the apostle is speaking, and he said, I am an apostle to the strangers. Scattered throughout, he said. They're not, they they don't live in colonies, but they're scattered throughout. And he goes on, and then he addresses them, and he calls them the elect. Now, he describes what makes them qualify as the elect. He says they are saved by the foreknowledge of Jesus Christ through sanctification of the Spirit, through obedience, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, after he lays the groundwork, the apostle greets them, and he greets them by saying, Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied, and then he begins to brag on Jesus. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope. Now hope becomes the topic of the conversation. Are you with me this morning? The fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, he points out, is the very thing that gives us a hope and opens the door for an inheritance of our resurrection. And then he starts talking about that hope and he begins to talk about the hope of that resurrection and he says it is an inheritance that you and I are going to partake of, the strangers, the pilgrims, the the, the elect that has been washed in the blood that now have a hope, that now have a promise and that that this Jesus Christ who gave us the hope, uh, it is an inheritance that is incorruptible. Now stay with me for a few more moments. Because as strangers walking through the land, we're looking around and everything is corruptible. There is pain. There is suffering. There is loss. There is heartache. There is, there, there's, there's more things than I have the time to mention this morning. And he said, all of these things are around us, but understand that that is not your inheritance. Inheritance. Or you can lay up treasure here. You can build bank accounts here. You can lay up treasure here. And he's saying it's not going to bring you any joy in the end. All that's going to happen in the end is that the the, the rust is going to come in and destroy it. And the malls are going to eat it up and the fire will destroy it. And you're not going to do it. You're going to reach for it. The the, the wisest man uh, that the Bible speaks that ever lives said it's all just vanity. And vexation of spirit. He said you live and you work and you gain and you achieve. And it's vanity and vexation of spirit. Because when the corruptible things of this life are the things that we focus on and reach for and try to gain and want to get. It is going to do nothing but bring vexation in your spirit but when we approach this world that it is not my home I am a stranger here I have an incorruptible inheritance on the other side it is undefiled and then the writer begins to say and it fadeth not away and then he uses a term he said it is reserved in heaven for you who are kept By the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then verse 6 comes. Watch what he says now in verse number 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. The world doesn't rejoice. Residents can't rejoice in it. People who have made the world this home can't rejoice in it. People who feel like they are a resident here can't enjoy it. Wall Street falls and they commit suicide. The bank account fails and you can't get along with them. A job cutback causes them to lose their victory. A loss of something monetary seems to destroy their life because this world is their home. Oh, it's feeling tight in here today. I'm just just getting started. We're just laying the groundwork for where we're going. I'm trying to help somebody that's placed their value on the things of this world and begin to look at this world as, as this is this is permanent. This is this is the way it is. This is the way life is. This is where I'm at. But the apostle said that we've got to change our look because if you were a stranger here and this world is not your home and you are part of the elect, we rejoice with a rejoicing that is not temporal. It is not of this world, but it is of that which is to come because I am not looking to the things of this world, but I greatly rejoice, he says in verse 6. Watch what happens now because the script changes. He said, Ye greatly rejoice. Can I talk about the momentary existence of trials? Because everything that the apostle. Uh, has laid out here is to try to tell you that if you've got a grip on the first things that I just talked to you about you're going to more easily get a grip on the trials of your faith because man is a few days man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble but the issue is it's just a few days and then nobody gonna help me preach this morning because when we, get a, when we get the reality of life and understand how that life, like a, like a flower, comes and fadeth away, it vanisheth away. We're promised only 70 years, and the great timetable of this world is such a small and short time. People live and die. Life is so short, it's a vapor. It's temporary. temporary and so the apostle Peter here is trying to cause us to jar us into view and say now if you get these other things right you're going to be able to deal with trials in a different way that's why some folks that don't place so much value in this life here but places value on the other side and says I won't lay up treasure here but I'll lay up treasure in heaven This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We used to sing uh, about that. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They begin to get a view of heaven and a view of the fact. That way when trials come down here, we can say, well, the world's not my home. This is just temporary. I don't like the weather here. I'm just traveling through. I'm just passing through. It's just temporary. Heartache's here. I'm just passing through. And so then the Apostle Peter begins to lay the groundwork for our text. As he has laid all of this out, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, because we have a knowledge of all the things that he said at the beginning. And now our text he begins to describe. He says, Though now... For, verse 6, though now for a season. Can we get that on the screen behind me? Though now for a season. Everybody say it's a season. You know the thing about seasons? They come and go. They pass. Seasons are not permanent. Seasons are not permanent. Seasons come and seasons go. Though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in what? You're in a trial. You're weighted down. But remember, I'm just a stranger. I'm just a pilgrim. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Many temptations. Multiple temptations. And then verse 7. That, there is a purpose to it all. Are you ready? That, The trial of your faith. That the trial of your faith. Everybody say the trial of your faith. faith. It is the trial of your faith. There is a purpose to it. It is aimed at your faith. The purpose is not to tempt you. It is a trial. You know the difference. Temptations come, they're evil. Temptations come from Satan. God does not tempt you. God will test you. God will put you through a trial. God will test you. He will never tempt you. No man can say he was tempted of the Lord. You got scripture and verse for it. No man can say the Lord is tempting me. The Lord, the devil will tempt you. Your enemy will tempt you. People will tempt you, but the Lord will not tempt you. But the Lord will allow you to go through trials because it is aimed at your faith. That the trial of your faith being what? Mm, Let's look at this now. Being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Huh? Huh? You hear what he's saying here? He didn't say, well, gold is precious. We know that. How many of you would like to have some gold? How many of you value gold? Oh, come on. You're You're not with me this morning. How many of you value gold? You're afraid to answer. You think you're going to be wrong. Now, now, now. Let's get real this morning. How many of you value gold? How many of you would like to have some gold? Boy, hands went up. You don't value it, but boy, you sure want it. You thought I was going to give it out. You threw your hand up. Of course we value gold. It is precious. We value it. We understand it. We recognize it. Valuable to us. Man needs some gold to live. He needs some gold to be able to have anything in this life. It's precious, not just any old gold. How many of you want fool's gold? No, no, no. We want real gold. Matter of fact, we want gold that's been tried in the fire. We want gold that has been through the fire. You know how they purify gold? They heat the gold and they pull all of the impurities out. And the more it has been heated and the more purity comes out of it, the more valuable it is. Now the apostle tries to get our attention and he said that the trial of your faith, the trial that you're going through being much more precious, then that of gold that perisheth, because gold will perish, though it even be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me try to help you understand the value of your trial. The Apostle Peter here is saying that it is not gold, that is the most valuable thing in your life. Gold was the most valuable metal that the apostle Peter could speak of. It was the most valuable thing that he could think of. It was the most valuable thing that he could write about. And he said, let's talk about gold because you're going to understand the value of gold. But he said that the trial that you go through is more valuable to you Than gold. Value gold, yes. But value your trial more than your gold. Because the trial is temporary. And while the trial is here and the trial is temporary, the trial is for you. Because on the other side of your trial, on the other side of your brokenness, there will be rejoicing. On the other side of your trial, there's going to be a benefit. On the other side of your trial, you're going to understand the purpose of what you're having to go through. Come on church, we got to get heaven in view. We've got to understand this world is not my home. The pain, the sorrow, the discomfort, all of the hurt and the failure and the faults and everything that I go through, it's just temporary. I'm just passing through. But I understand that Everything works together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. The trial is working for your good. The test is working for your good. God is setting things up for your future. I wonder if anybody in this house could just lift up your hands where you are and thank God for your trial because it may be the trial of your faith that is saving you. It is the trial that is making you. It is your trial that is perfecting you. When we get on the other side of the trial, we're going to understand that our trial is important to us. Because without a trial, you know what? You're going to try to make it on your own. Without trials, you can come to church and praise God and leave and go do whatever you want to do, but the trial will make you call on God. The trial will make you show up to church on Sunday. The trial will make you change what's wrong in your life and fix it. The trial will cause you to walk away from the old world and walk into something that is new. The trial, the brokenness in your life will cause you to turn to the Lord. I don't know many people that are wealthy and increased with goods and healthy and everything going right in their life that run to Jesus. But most of us, after we've tried everything and everything has failed, then we turn to Jesus. I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be that way. But for most of us, when we've tried this world and this world disappointed us, then we ran to Jesus. When we tried alcohol and we tried drugs and we tried everything possible and we found out it will fail us, it will destroy us, we turn to Jesus and understand that's where my help comes from. So there's some things I want to leave you with this morning. Wow, my time's gone. I want to leave you with some things that will help you who are going through trials today. I didn't know why that the Lord had spoken this into my spirit. I'm thinking, God, I'm going to talk about trials and things seem to be going good. We finally got some warm weather. I thought the trial was over. The Lord kept impressing me with trials, and I'm beginning to recognize and understand perhaps what God is was wanting to speak this morning. But I want you to know that everybody on this planet goes through trials. And I want you to understand that trials have a divine purpose. Trials are from God and they have a divine purpose. Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul speaks and he says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. My point in this message this morning, is that trials don't last always. Trials don't last always. Well, it's going to last the rest of my life, but it's not going to last always. Because on the other side, there is going to be a great reckoning day. On the other side of of your broken situation, there's going to be rejoicing. On the other side of what you are dealing with, there is going to be hope for you. On the other side, we know this is only temporary. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I'm going to ever get beyond this. I don't know if I'm going to ever get through it. Yes, you will. It's just temporary. This world is not your home. It's just temporary. They say, I have to live with this for the rest of my life, Pastor. That's right. God gave me this face. I have to live with it. God gave me this body. I have to live with it. I live every day in back pain, but I refuse. This is temporary. This is temporary. It's not going to depress me. It's not going to get me down. I'm not going to live every day complaining. This world is not my home. One of these days I'm going to have a new body. I got a work to do for the Lord. Yes. This world is not my home. Your trial will not last always. I don't know if my kids are going to ever change. God's going to fix it. Keep the faith. If God doesn't fix them, this world's not your home. Let me leave you with a couple more things since I'm going to preach a while. Your trial is controlled by God. Your temptations by the enemy, but your trial is controlled by God. I don't know about that, Pastor. Let me let me let me let me give you scripture and verse for those of you who don't want to believe what I'm preaching to you. In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Look at your neighbor and say it's common. But God's faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Woo! I got to stop here for a moment because I got to tell you what, what what, what, the Apostle Paul is saying here. Trials are from God, temptations are from the devil. But God is even in control... Of the magnitude of the temptation. Hmm. The temptation is not from God, but the Lord can say, nope, you can only do. Matter of fact, I'll just sit back, devil, and let you tell me about Job. And he says, I can't get through to him. Hmm. I touched everything around him, but you won't let me take his life because you are in control. Don't ever think that the devil is in control of your destiny. The devil will tempt you and cause you to think he is in control. But the Lord said, "Hath no temptation come against you, but that which is common to man. And that he would not allow it to be tempted above that which you are able. You need to tell your neighbor today, you're able to overcome it. You are able to overhaul, Pastor, you don't know how hard it is. But God said that you are able to handle it or he would not allow you to be in it. Either the Bible is true or it's not true. You don't know how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. God said, I will put a limiter on what the devil is able to do in your life. I will limit I will limit what the devil can do to let you and him know that he's not in control of your destiny Tell your neighbor trials won't last always and my temptation will not take me out. Oh, somebody give God praise this morning. Come on, call out to the Lord this morning. Devil cannot touch your life. <laughs> well, if they're not careful, the devil's gonna kill them. No, he can't. Because the devil's not in control of life and death. God is in control of life and death. The devil will tempt you, but there's a point that the Lord's gonna say, All right, that's all I'm gonna allow. Stop right there. Go ahead, Sister Robin take another breath. I'm going to put life back into the heart. The devil tried to take it out. God said, that's as far as I'm going to allow him to go. Right there. Right word Stop. Boom. There's life back in you. Now devil, take your hand off of her. He cannot have any more. That's all I gave you. That's all I gave you. It's just a trial of her faith. And that's all you got, but you can't take out. The devil cannot speak death into what God has spoken life into. The devil cannot speak destruction into what God is speaking peace into you're in a trial it's for you and God is in control of it and God says enough is enough stand with me this morning doesn't matter where you are what you're going through what you're facing how difficult it may seem today I want you to get it in your mind it's not going to last always But the main thing that I've got to know today is is that the devil lives with a limiter on him. I've heard people misappropriate the scripture and they they say it a little different and say, well, you know, we've got the devil on a leash. We may not have the devil on a leash. But God has the devil on a leash it's like the big bad dog you know you walk through your neighborhood and he runs out but when the owner puts the clinch on him growl, bark, act bad and tough as you want to smite fear into every life make every child run back into the house and most men God God says but you're going to go so far Stop. That's all you got. Because God is in control. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Every every trial of your faith comes with the grace of God to be able to bear it. Paul wrote his second letter to the book, to, to Corinthians in the twelfth chapter, in the nine verse, ninth verse, and he said unto them, My grace is sufficient. Everybody say sufficient. You know what the word sufficient means? It's enough. My grace is. for you can I get that on the screen 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 is it up up there we got to close with this we got to get this in our spirit this morning 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 my grace is sufficient for thee for 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength God speaking here For my strength is made perfect in your. (laughs) The only way that God's strength can be made perfect is that you go through a trial. And when it is the trial of your faith, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory In my trial, that the power of Christ may be on me. Because the greater the trial, the greater the anointing. The greater the trial, the more powerful God shows up in your life. Mm. Somebody throw both hands in the air this morning and thank God for the trial. Because through the trial, God's trying to save you. Through the trial, God's trying to perfect you. Through the trial, God is trying to get you out. For the tr- through the trial, God is trying to cause you to see heaven. For he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. What does that tell me? That if he did it, we can do it. He even looked and said, greater things than these shall you do. We're going to be able to make it through, child of God. We're going to be able to get through the trial, through the test this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed throughout the, the house this morning. The Lord is speaking to people throughout this building this morning. You're going through a trial. You've been through a trial. You're facing a trial. It's a trial of your faith. You're wondering, God, why, how, when, well, God, what, what does all this mean? The Lord is sending a word to you this morning. The Lord's trying to give you hope today. I open these altars to you this morning. Do you want to step out from where you are and make your way to the front of this room and say, God, I'm with you today. I know you're with me today. I'm not giving up on you because you haven't given up on me. Lord, I'm not walking away from you because you're not walking away from me in my trial and in my test. You're all I have to lean on. You're working it for my good. You're going to see me through it. You're going to bring me out the other side of it. Victory shall be mine. Joy shall be mine. Weeping endureth but for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning.